Well, let's pray and we'll get started this morning. Uh, Father, we come to you to humble ourselves, to come to your word, to, to be taught, to learn from you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit to receive your scriptures that would culminate in vibrant, lively worship of you and your son, Jesus Christ, here this morning. Amen. So we are continuing our Foundations of Marriage series, and we get to the fun part, which I thought last week was, there was some fun parts, but uh, we get to talk about the husband and wife distinctives. And so if you didn't realize, men and women are different. This might be a big shock to you, but they are different. They are very different. God created them different. And so we're going to talk about, uh, I didn't know, it's really a a toss-up whether I wanted to call it the husband and wife distinctives or the male and female distinctives because they're so closely intertwined. And especially in the the marriage relationship, it's a lot of it is based on gender. Uh, We don't really have, you can go to the Bible and you can look and it never actually says that the husband is the man. It's just always assumed that the husband is the man. And I don't think it can be any other way. But you hear a lot of crazy things today. So if you, do, if you need to write that one down, start your notes with the man is the husband, the woman is the wife, and we'll be on the right foot and we're going in the right direction. And so <clears throat> what I want, the main point I really want to get across today is not just that God created men and women different, but those differences are good. The differences are, could be a blessing, they could be a curse, how you, how you handle them and how you deal with them, but God made us different, and that's the way he designed it, to, uh, and so it is good, the, and so we should emphasize those differences, we should look for those differences, and we should play on those differences, and so, <clears throat> and so, um, even when you look in, into broader culture, when you look to a, uh, a men's movie, if you go to a guy's movie, there's usually a lot of action, there's a lot of fighting, there's violence, and the whole storyline is about the mission. And then there might be some beautiful young lady that comes along and it's like a side piece of the story, but it's not a main focus at all. It usually gets her at the end, but it's, it's usually based on the mission. They're oriented towards this this mission towards saving the world, towards doing whatever, and the lady is kind of like this side piece in the, in the storyline. But if you go to a, uh, what are they called, chick flicks, <laughs> they are, those are movies geared towards women. They are oriented, the whole mission is the guy. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. There's no, it doesn't matter what time frame it is. That's a, that is a subplot. It's usually a subplot, and the main focus is the relationship. It's the guy. It's because men and women are just oriented different. And that is a subplot. The, 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 what's going on in the world is, is usually secondary to uh, how this, this man and woman are going to come together. And that's what the main focus is. And so... Some things are, are just clear in creation. Some things are given to us in the word of God. And uh, one indication that our culture is in a particularly bad spot is the inability to describe what a woman is or even the differences between, between men and women. And so 
there was, Newsweek came out with a new survey. It was by a, a company, a polling company called Redfield and Winston Strategies. They found that nearly half of U.S. millennials believe so-called misgendering should be a crime. That's the world we live in. That was, I don't know how they poll, but they came up with about half of millennials believe that misgendering a person should be a crime. And so we didn't really, our culture didn't get here overnight. We didn't just jump into chemically castrating little boys and girls with their parents' consent or the state being able to take charge over their children, over parents' children in some states, uh, if they don't agree with their gender. We didn't just wake up and decide that was a good idea. Our culture didn't get there overnight. Our culture has... It has taken several generations to get to this point, and it, it begins with blurring the lines between the sexes. It begins with blurring the, the husband and wife distinctives, the male and female distinctives, and what God calls is, uh, is good in a male isn't always good in a female. And what God said is good in a female isn't always good in a male. And so when we start to blur those lines, uh, usually culturally it seems harmless or there's not a lot of a, a fight put up, even from the church or even uh, corrective preaching from the church. And then you get to the second generation and it's, it gets blurred even more until you get to the current predicament we're in. And so, um, uh, and, it, and it always is a rejection of things that are very clear in creation. Some of the things are just very clear that you could see the differences between men and women. Um, I like to play a game with, with uh, my wife and kids. We're driving down the street and see somebody about like 50 yards off and it's hard to tell. You're like, is that a man or a woman? What is that? What is that person? Do you think that's a man or a woman? It's hard to tell from, from this distance and, uh, because in our culture, sometimes it's very hard to tell. Uh, usually... Usually I can, I'm pretty, pretty right. Uh, it looks like a woman, but she's got really broad shoulders. She looks like a football player. I think it's a dude. Uh, but it's, it's because our men, some men in our culture, love to look like women, and our women love to look like men. And, and you can't go against biology. You can't go against what God has built into creation. It's, it's just foolery. But then some things are, are very didactic in the scriptures, and those are usually relational. And so, usually the, so the distinctives between, there are distinctives between males and females generally, and in the context of a relationship, there are distinctions between husbands and wives. And a lot of that has to do with whether they're a male or a female, but some of those are just relational differences. And so just to, I will go in, in the next four teachings, <coughs> excuse me, we're going to go into what is the role of a husband, what is his position in the marriage covenant and the family, and what is the role of a wife, what is her position biblically in the marriage covenant, and then how does that play out? What are their responsibilities? What's the day-to-day -day function? And, and we'll just look at what the general biblical teaching is. But those, those are, that's a relational term. And so uh, I will go over and over and try to belabor the point over and over. 
that uh, wives are called to submit to their husbands because it's a relationship. They're not, women are not called biblically to submit to men generally. Right? Does that make sense? Because that's in the context of a relationship. In this relationship, you're called to submit, but you're not called to submit broadly. Right? There is a, a you can't, uh, you couldn't say that men are, are given to leadership and just say every man should go and lead. Well, that, would, that might seem like a very uh, noble thing or whatever you're thinking, but it just would never work out in the real world because not every man could lead every man because they're all leaders. And so who can you lead? You can only lead women. And, and uh, if you don't have an all-women crew at your work, then you're, uh, it's over. Yeah, and, and it just doesn't work out. And so biblically, so there's relational hierarchies, the relational distinctives, and then there's just general biological distinctives. And the more we emphasize those and honor God in his word, um, the, uh, the, not just the more glory we get, but the, I, I think the Bible points that the happier we will be and the more un, unpacked on, on, uh, on the route to restoring our culture. And so... <clears throat> So there is a tie-in genetically with the, the wife is always the woman. You, can't, you don't get to get into the relationship and be like, okay, which one of us is going to be the wife? Who wants to be the wife today? Can we switch it? We can't, right? And so there is, and even in the relational, there is a, a genetic tie, a biological tie in there. And so we want to see the differences that God has made. We want to understand them which, and then glorify him in that and obey him in those. And our culture is so far downstream from this. We're in clown town almost 24-7 where uh, uh, it really is sometimes hard to distinguish. Is this supposed to be a man or a woman? Because they're, they're really trying to present themselves as a woman. But this sure does look like a guy. And so as Christians, we're bound to the scriptures. And if it's clear and evident in God's word, we have to obey it. And some of them, and then some things God just makes clear in, in creation, in creation ordinance. We are not allowed to dip our toes into the swamp that our culture has created. We're not allowed to say, well, I know this is like the biblical teaching and there's one or two passages or something, and, but it doesn't practically work out in, in my marriage. So we, we just disobey God's word and we do whatever we want. We're not allowed to do that. And so... Uh, today, I really want to emphasize the male and female distinctives, which are the husband and wife distinctives. Um, but again, if there's one thing I hope that everyone goes home with is a deeper understanding of the importance that God made us different for a reason. And so, <clears throat> and so uh, as I said in a previous teaching, doing uh, proceeds being and, and being precedes Doing So who you are and what you are starts with what you will do. And so that looks like you, uh, uh, what you, how you fulfill this, these relational things as husband and wife or as children or in any relationship comes out of who you are. Uh, you even see that in the scriptures and in, in the gospel where you, there's all these commands in, in 1 Peter. It says like as... as uh, Beloved children, and you arm your way with this way of thinking that the grace of the gospel will be delivered to you. And as obedient children, be holy as God is holy. 
Well, if you're not children of God, you can't be holy as God is holy. You can't fulfill the law. You can't obey God. You can't love him. You can't even worship him rightly with a right heart if you're not first converted and a child of God. And so you can't, the more you try to work up in yourself obedience, and I keep sinning, and it's hard, and it's a struggle, and I know I got to get on top of it, the worse off you'll probably be because you haven't been converted. You haven't been changed. Who you are hasn't been changed. And so what we do as male and female or what we do as husband and wife comes out of who we are. So more distinctly, who we are, what we do as husband and wife comes out of who we are, which is a male and female distinctive and a relational distinctive. And so what you are and who you are is going to affect what you do. And so generally our culture tells us that, that what you are just doesn't matter. doesn't matter. doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. You can do anything you want. Men can do the same thing as women. Women can do the same thing as men. And in some sense, uh, in some instances, that, that is true, right? Uh, I can, I can uh, make coffee just as well as a woman can make coffee. And there's some things where it really doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman or in a relationship, whether you're a husband or the wife. I really could do the dishes just as good as Noelle does, and she could do it just as good as me. And it doesn't matter our biology, and it doesn't matter our, in our relationship. But that's not, and, that, and in general, some of those things work, and in theory, some of those things work. But it's generally misguided and ignorant because there are, are several things that men can't do as good as women. Make a baby. How about that one? I haven't even tried. And, and there are several things that women can't do as good as men. And so it, when you start to blur the husband and wife distinctives and when you start to blur the male and female distinctives, uh, it just doesn't take into account how God created us and he created us for a reason. And so men are called before God to live masculine, manly lives manly lives. Women are called to be feminine women. And the, I hope this doesn't sound as too much of a shock to you, but it is a shock to our, our culture. And if we, if we think we're just going to um, not look at the scriptural understanding, not to look at God's word, and we think that if we just ignore our culture and we know it's wrong, but we don't have corrective teaching, we don't teach it in our, to ourselves, we don't understand the word of God, we don't teach it in our families, then uh, we're kind of fooling ourselves. And so Genesis 1, 26 through 27, uh, it's going to be a common passage through this whole series. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the seas and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that God creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And so when God created men and women, they were both made in his image. And I don't know exactly, uh, we can debate about how this looks in the Trinity and theologically, and usually it falls into some heresy, but 
you can debate about what it means that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is only presented as male in Scripture. He's never presented as a female anywhere, but yet Eve, a female, was created in his image. And so uh, we know that uh, God is spirit in, in John 4, and so he doesn't have a body, so he isn't physically male, right? So what the scriptures are putting across is not a, a physical, biological description. I believe it's a relational description, a hierarchical description. And uh, again, we can, we can debate it later, but I don't believe that God ever puts himself in scripture as female, but there is something in a female that is created in the image of God. That makes, not that God is some dualistic, he's half male, half female, and, or anything. Uh, that verse about, like, him being a mother hen, <clears throat> like, yeah, Jesus says that he was, in the context of like a mother hen, he wanted to gather Israel under him, but they rejected him, and, and so... Uh, I, I believe that it's more relational than it is, is biological in this sense, but it's putting down the precedence that you really don't get in any other culture, in any other religion, or any other worldview that men or women are both created equal. Fundamentally, in essence, there is no reason to say men or women are better fundamentally than one another. And so that starts in the first chapter of the Bible. And so if you ever get off into like left field or right field and you're not in center field and you get away from that, you know you're going away from foundational teachings. So even if you look and you think that other things like uh, there obviously is a hierarchy we'll get into the next four weeks in, in Scripture that says that uh, the wife is, is called to submit to her husband, but that doesn't make her less equal. Doesn't make your children, children are supposed to obey their parents. Are they less equal in being, in, in importance? No, obviously not. And so uh, when we start to get in, out of the, the foundations, then we, we kind of get out into the clown town eventually, into crazy world. And so, but, we're, but this is the only worldview that starts with the foundation that men and women are equal. Right? They are different but equal, and they're very different. And so um, there's nothing innately that says that men or women are better than each other. Uh, but when you get to the second chapter in Genesis 2.18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him or a helper corresponding to him. And so if you're kind of reading between the lines, that helper was not a man. It would not have been good if Adam was here and he was working in the garden and he couldn't get all his projects done to create another man. For a couple biological reasons, obviously it would have been hard to make children, but it goes way beyond that. And so uh, what God is saying is distinctly it's not good. The, the helper that's suitable for him, that when God says, creates man and woman and, and says, this is good, that was a distinction between if there was a world full of men, that would not be good. There would probably be a lot more war uh, and a lot more violence. And if there was a world of just women, 
oh, you sat through the man thing, but now you're shaking your head at the women. No. If there, was, there probably would be less war, but there would be a lot of other things. I don't want to offend all the women, but you can, you're already thinking them. So, so you deal with it. And yeah, they want to be uh, violently fighting. And so, <clears throat> so under, in the creation account, what we have to come to the, the first foundation and conclusion is we have to say that under God's providence, the world is better with men and women, not just men and not just women. There are certain fields, if you want to piecemeal out the world and the work that has to be done, there are certain fields where it's better for men to be, and there are certain fields and vocations that is better for women to be in, but in creation, it is not good for it to be mostly men or mostly women. And that's, I think, in God's providence, he, about half of the world are men and half of the world are women, and that's one attestation to God's goodness that he's saying, this is good. This is the way it's supposed to be. You know, and we're just oriented differently. If you take something um, like construction, and, you know, probably five women could not do as good of a job as one man in construction projects, generally. And five men cannot take care of a baby as good as one woman. <laughs> it, that's just the way it works. And so we're, we're totally oriented differently, and, and God created this. And you see kind of in, in sub-Christian cultures, you know, there's, I don't know if this is a Christian thing, but they say, like, men are from Mars, women are for, from Venus, men, uh, you know, like, they're two different worlds. There's uh, that one book labeled about, like, women's heads are like spaghetti, and men, they're like waffles. Yeah, we got one that's heard that one. And so those are, I don't know if those are actually Christian or not, I'm not and I'm not giving my endorsement to those books because I've never read them, but it does attest to that this is a creation ordinance. This is out in the world. This is visible to everybody, and it's just the way God made it. And so, but the, the problem is that sin perverts everything. And so we get into, uh, or in our, in our families, in our family culture, in our churches, in our nation, we get into, <coughs> excuse me, perverting the differences God made that were good, and we tend to pervert them uh, in pretty egregious ways. And so, consequently, men and women also just sin differently. And so, men don't sin the same as women. Have, have you married couples noticed that in your households, that uh, if it's weird, you ever find that, like, the guy's always, like, saying sorry because he did something, and uh, it's less noticeable when women sin is because men tend to sin flagrantly. They tend to sin out loud. They, sin, they tend to be very uh, expressive, and, and their sins are flagrant, and you can see them. Women generally tend to sin quietly or, or discreetly. And they don't sin any differently. They don't sin any less. It's just one is more discreet than the other. And that's just the way, the way it is. Uh, men tend to rebel while women are generally deceived. And so, uh, of course, women can rebel. Of course, men can be deceived. 
But if you think that's sexist, let's go to 1 Timothy 2. And you tell me. Actually, you don't tell me. The Word of God will tell you. Uh, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And so we'll get into, uh, we'll exposit this passage more, but I want to give that when he says in a, a church setting, in a public format, in here from the pulpit, uh, in an authoritative manner, that women are not called to teach or to exercise authority. Why? Well, his reason is because Adam was created first. First come, first serve. Finders keepers. I was here first. <laughs> right? Wrong attitude, but, uh, but yeah, he, he doesn't give a reason. The first instance is because just Adam was formed first. That's the way God made it. And secondly, because Adam was not deceived, he was not deceived. In the garden, when the serpent deceived, he deceived Eve, and he came after Eve particularly. And Adam was not deceived. He had God's word given directly to him and his commands, and he was supposed to teach his wife and protect her, and he knew that, and he didn't. I don't know what he was thinking the whole time, but, uh, but, um, well, he didn't think of that enough to do anything. And, and so he knew God's command and he just didn't follow it. But it says that the, the woman, that Eve was deceived and became a transgressor. And that's not to say that women are stupid, right? It's not saying because women are more easily deceived that, that they're stupid, or that they don't know how to teach, women are called to teach in the scriptures. They really are. There's instances where uh, women uh, in Ephesians 19 pull a itinerant pastor aside and, and teach him. And it's very clearly that women in, first, uh, in, in Titus 2 are called to, older women are called to teach younger, younger women. And if you're a mom and you have a male child, you need to teach him and he needs to obey. And so it, it's not at all downgrading or, or saying anything negative about women. Uh, and it's not pointing out anything negative about women because it's pointing something negative about man too. <laughs> that he, he wasn't... Would, would you rather have it as an excuse that you did something wrong and I was tricked than I just didn't want to? Which, one's, which one looks worse? The, the man looks worse. I just didn't want to. I knew, I knew what the law was. I just thought it was stupid. I was going to try something else. I was going to try something new. The one was like, ah, they kind of, they put on a really good show, and I thought it was good. But, and so, uh, and, we, and we see this, and so because women are, have this nature about them where they're more easily deceived, uh, first off, nobody in here, no guy in here would be married if women couldn't get deceived. <laughs> If they were a little bit easier. And so, first of all, be, be thankful for that. But, but just to point out differences in how men and women sin, women are usually the ones getting scammed, and men are usually the ones doing the scamming. And so, uh, I've never had a, one of those phone calls from uh, a foreign country telling me that, I need to log into my DirecTV account or I've got my car's warranty. It's never been a female on the phone. It's always been a male. 
they're always the ones trying to scam. And they, they generally are looking for women. And so that doesn't mean that uh, that is a negative side that men like to scam, but you just have to be aware of the differences. And, and we pervert that through sin, but it's not inherently a bad thing. And so nothing in scripture says that women are, are stupid because they're more easily deceived, right? Um, there was a, an instance where Noel, you know, everyone gets fished and scammed like all the time, constantly through emails or through text messages. And Noel was looking at something and I don't know how long it was, maybe a couple days you were kind of delineating over it and you're like, oh, I don't know if I should do this. And I just looked at him and said, that's a scam. <laughs> like, like I just knew instantly it was a scam. I didn't have to think about it. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Just don't do it. That's weird. Uh, and so it doesn't make, you know, the... Uh, because men are more into scamming, we could identify scams easier. Yeah, they, they generally get into, <laughs> into trusting. They're usually geared towards trusting a little bit, a little bit more. And so, uh, just going back to that first Timothy, because teaching from the pulpit is a masculine activity, you need a, a masculine person in the pulpit. And so uh, if you look into uh, more, more leftist denominations that allow women preachers, women pastors, women elders, who teach from the pulpit uh, authoritatively on doctrine, those are always, none of them are reformed, teaching good doctrine, hold to orthodoxy. They are all slowly getting into pretty egregious heresies. When men do that, it's usually flagrant and open, and it's not a lot, it doesn't take as much time. When men do that, it's just, I'm not going to teach that, I'm going to reject that, and we're going to move on. And so, uh, so in how men and women sin is, is different, and you have to be aware of that in your marriage because you have to know what to guard against, right? If, if when going back to getting women, you know, tend to be the target of deception, that, that men, that means they have to protect their women. Men are usually, there's no difference in the sin fun, fundamentally, how they get into sin is different. Right. Yeah, and that's what the biblical teaching is, is that men and women are created equal. They both have an equal opportunity to sin, but they do sin, they get into sin differently. And so look at some more scriptural examples. Uh, Proverbs 3.31, do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. And so men should have the ability to be violent, but not be characterized by violence. Right? Numbers 1, 2 through 3 um, lists that every the, 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 the people that should go to war are men age 20 years or older who are able-bodied. And so women were not permitted to go into combat for a reason. If you took 10 men 
against 100 women, I would bet on the 10 men winning. Fair, I would, be, I would bet on the women. And so Colossians, men are just stronger, they're more violent, they're more apt towards war, and that's why the Bible puts it out there. And so Colossians 3.19 says, Love your wife, but do not be harsh with them. The Bible doesn't ever command that the woman should not be harsh with her husband. Why? It's not generally in their nature. It's not generally how they sin. Men sin in harsh ways. Women sin towards their husband in usually softer ways. They're both sinning, but they're getting into sin differently. And so generally men are created stronger to be protectors, and that is to be used for a blessing. Again, what we're looking at is the differences between male and female distinctives and husband and wife distinctives, and God created them good so that you could bless the others. So when men are stronger and protective, they should be using that to protect their wives, protect their children. But because sin is sin and it perverts everything, uh, that's why it, the Bible commands men not to be harsh. They tend to be harsher because they are more uh, physically apt. And so let's get to the women. Uh, women, how do they sin differently? Proverbs 27, 15 through 16 a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife or a contentious wife or a nagging wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. And so men's sin tend to be flagrant and overbearing and harsh. Women's sins tend to be a little bit quieter, soft. I could just a little drip here, a little drip. You can't really hear it, but when you hear it, it's, it's all you focus on, Right? Women are, are tempted to nag to gain control, while men want to be overbearing and dominant to get control. And so you have to be aware of that and, and the differences in order to be on guard against it. Uh, Proverbs 7, the seductress, the seductress woman. And so uh, now there is lady wisdom right there in Proverbs 2, 3, or 4, and then there's the seductress lady. And so First Peter talks about women not adorning themselves with, with braids or jewelry to make themselves beautiful, to, which isn't to say that they shouldn't do that, but they should have a, a quiet and, and peaceful spirit. But women, if, if you've noticed, they are created much more beautiful than men. I didn't hear any amens, so uh, maybe you guys didn't notice that or don't appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, the women were waiting... The men's are the one that should have said amen to that one, right? And so women were obviously created much more towards beauty, and so that is a blessing towards their husband, but it could, you could use it sinfully as a curse to seduce, right? Uh, obviously, you, not in seducing your husband, but in men in general, you could use that blessing that God has given you to, to seduce. And so... Uh, when you look at the uh, commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, that applies to everybody, right? That's not just for men. That's not just for women. Men tend to get in, into uh, an adulterous relationship physically first, might not even know the girl's name or even care, and then the emotions trail later. Women tend to get into 
uh, adulterous relationships emotionally first and then get physical. And so they're both adulterous, but how they get into it is different. And so that means men need to guard physically. There needs to be a physical separation between other women, and women need to set up boundaries emotionally between other men. Um, and so what we're trying to, to tie together, what I'm trying to tie together with last week is, or kind of bringing that in, is even in the, one of the purpose for marriage is companionship. And so when men have a, a companion or want companionship, we're usually mission-oriented. We're doing something, and I, I would enjoy if my wife, like, watched me change the oil in my car, but I would not appreciate if she talked or asked questions because <laughs> that's taken me away from what I'm doing. But I do like, and I think most men have something like this where I want you to be there, but I just want you to, like, be over here. Don't ask me about, like, the oil. Don't ask me about the, what size nut it is. I could, because that's, now I'm slowing down. And it's frustrating. But uh, women, uh, they love companionship and talking and sharing their emotions and what's going on, sitting down and, and, con and connecting. And they really do. And so men, in, in the covenant relationship with marriage, men have to learn how to give that type of companionship. And that's not natural for them. It takes a lot of work. And women have to work really hard at giving that type of companionship to the man. And it's not natural. It's a lot of work. And so uh, that means that in order for men to give themselves to their wife, they have to be in, intentional about going against what, how God has created them, against their, their uh, masculine tendencies to connect with their wife. And women do the same thing. And so one of those benefits of, of, of marriage uh, or purposes of marriage was sexual pleasure that we talked about last week. So men generally want quantity while women want quality. And so we have to learn how to give ourselves towards our spouse in the way that they are geared to receive it. And vice, and you have to go both ways. And what the Lord is doing in, in creation, making men and women different, making husband and wives different, is he is teaching us how to sacrifice. I was built towards this, with this nature, towards, towards this, and it's generally good, but my wife isn't like that. I have to sacrifice to get on her level. And my wife is generally geared towards something else, and she has to sacrifice to get on my level. So Luke 9, 23 and 24, we'll kind of end with this, where our Lord says, and he being Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In, in the Lord creating distinctives between man and woman, between husband and wife, he is teaching us how to lay down our lives, how to sacrifice, how to submit to one another in, in reverence uh, to teach us how to bear our cross. If we didn't do that in, in marriage, it would totally be one-sided and it would just be about you all the time. 
but the covenant is, is my life for yours. And the way we have to identify those distinctives between men and women and male and female in, in our covenant relationships, uh, because he made them different for a reason, they're a blessing, but they could turn in, into a curse. But in that, he's, he's teaching us the gospel. He's teaching us to be sacrificial. He's, he's teaching us to, to be humble. He's teaching us uh, how to lose our life because he promises it when we lay it down, we'll get it back. When I go against my nature to connect with my wife, it is hard. It is sometimes not pleasant, but what I get in return is. And you have to see kind of past the horizon in that, and that's what uh, the Lord wants to teach us. And so in the next four weeks, uh, or the next four teachings, because uh, Joseph Jenga is coming on the 6th. And, and so in the next four teachings, we'll get into much more specifics about what God, God calls the role of a husband and his responsibilities and the role of a wife and her responsibilities. So, amen. Let's pray. Lord, uh, bless us in, in our covenant relationships. Bless those who are entering into covenant relationships in, in marriage that we would understand the gospel and how to sacrifice ourselves and how to bless one another with the distinctives you've given us. Through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.